What do you do when you really want to drive home a point, when you really want to emphasize something? Well, communication uh, teachers tell us that uh, there's a lot of things you can do. Non-verbally, you can, you can move your hands, you can pound your fists, you can, you can lean forward, you can stand up. Verbally, you can raise your voice really loud, you can bring it to a whisper. Written communication, what do we do? We highlight things. We do all capital letters. Who loves getting a text with all capital letters? You know, um, we italicize words. We put our words in red. Well, in our passage that was just read by Bob for today, as we close our sermon series through Galatians, Paul wants to emphasize something. And how does he do that? Verse 11. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Apparently, Paul changed the size of his font because he wanted to drive home a couple of themes. Now, as we've worked our way through Galatians, there have been a couple of themes that have really emerged. The primary theme, though, the book of Galatians, is the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Through faith in Christ, Paul tells us, through the gospel, the good news of Christ, is that we are set free from, from the penalty of sin, from the power of Satan, and from the power of death through what Christ has done for us on the cross. And freedom is a drum that, that Paul beats over and over through the this, this six chapters in this letter. And here, even in these last few verses of his letter to the Galatians, he does it again. Now, as we look at these things that he wants to emphasize, the first one is a theme that we've hit upon quite a bit these past several weeks. We'll spend a little bit of time there, and then we're going to move on to the second theme and spend most of our time on that one. Let's take a look now, starting at verse 12. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. Now, you remember what this is about? Paul has been is summarizing here and addressing again the major issue that the churches in Galatia were facing. Uh, just to kind of refresh your memories, there was a group called the Judaizers. And they were teaching that, that uh, in addition to faith in Christ, that circumcision and other Jewish um, kind of laws, requirements and regulations were required and essential to being saved, to being a Christian. And so in the first five chapters, Paul has emphatically and powerfully asserted that, that any effort to add to what Christ has already done for us on the cross is not only wrong, it's not only misguided, but it's evil because it leads people away from how and why and through whom we are saved. Only through Christ, Paul asserts, in Christ alone can we and are we saved. Now it's important here to pay attention to Paul's language because it reveals to us a little bit about the motivation and the thinking of the Judaizers. He says, those who want to make a good impression, which if you think about it, that's all of us, isn't it? I mean, we all want to make a good impression when we meet somebody, when we, as a church, we try to make a good impression. We have ushers and greeters. We try to smile. We have the visitor center. We have all sorts of things we try to do to make sure that people feel wanted and welcomed. And we want to make a good impression. It's not wrong to want to make a good impression. But in this case, Paul's telling us that the Judaizers' desire to make a good impression revealed something about their thinking and their beliefs about why they wanted people to be circumcised. You see, part of their teaching would have been that, that we can help save ourselves. And part of that is being a good person and doing good things and doing the right thing, in this case, observing parts of the Jewish law. And those things they were teaching would be essential to being saved. 
And, and when we do that, when we think that we have to add something to what Christ has already done to affect our salvation, what Paul says, if we believe that, in a sense, we're doing the same thing the Judaizers did. And so Paul writes in large, bold letters here to emphasize once again that salvation comes only and completely through what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. We can't add to it. We shouldn't try to add to it. It, it, would, make, it would mislead us and draw us away from the gospel. So what is the second theme that Paul emphasizes as he closes up this letter? Take a look at verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He emphasizes the cross. It'll be interesting uh, just to kind of do a running total of how many times the course of a week we, we see the cross. We see crosses on people in the form of jewelry, right? Rings, earrings, necklaces. Some of them simple silver necklaces or crosses. Some have jewels on them. Some people wear the cross on their bodies as a tattoo. We see the cross in many flags, some of the state flags, but especially in Europe, you'll see a lot of crosses on flags. Of course, there are crosses on and inside many churches, sometimes on the steeples, sometimes inside the walls. Stained glass windows, sometimes in the shape of the building itself. We have three crosses out, out front. We have the cross in the window here. As you walk up to the main entrance, there's a, if you look at it, there's a big cross uh, between the windows, the shape of a cross. We find crosses in cemeteries. Sometimes we still even see crosses in public places. If you're with a, 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 a Catholic or Orthodox friend and you ask a blessing in a the meal, they're going to they're gonna cross themselves with the sign of the cross. The cross has even made its way into pop culture. Uh, in some horror movies, you'll see people use the cross to ward off evil creatures, uh, particularly effective, I guess, against vampires and werewolves. The cross is, is everywhere. And it means different things to different people. For some people, it's simply a meaningless, empty symbol. For some, it's a, a good luck charm, and they treat it with superstition. Others, for them, it's an object of religious devotion, and they treat it like a, like a holy relic. But for other people, and I hope that includes us this morning, the crosses that they see points to something greater, to someone greater. The cross for us means that Christ died on the cross, took the penalty for our sins, and was crucified for us. The cross is simply a shorthand way for Christians to speak of the great work that Christ did for us. When he substituted himself for us on the cross, when he suffered and died for us, when he shed his blood for us. J.C. Ryle, who was a 19th century bishop in England, wrote a booklet called The The Cross. I'm going to quote it twice during this message. The first one is a little bit longer quote, but stick with me. He wrote, what do you think and feel about the cross of Christ? You live in a Christian land. You probably attend the worship of a Christian church. You have perhaps been baptized in the name of Christ. You profess and call yourself a Christian, and all this is well. It's more than can be said of millions in the world. But all this is no answer to my question. What do you think and feel about the cross of Christ? He continues. This is no mere question of controversy. This is not one of those points on which men may agree to differ and feel that differences will not shut them out of heaven. A man must be right on this subject or he's lost forever. Heaven or hell happiness or misery, life or death, blessing or curse in the final days. All hinges 
on the answer to this question. What do you think and what do you feel about the cross of Christ? Well, Paul made it abundantly clear what he felt and thought when he wrote in very big, bold letters, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. For him, the cross was everything. Nothing else in life was worth boasting in and glorying in. Only Christ, Christ alone and what he had done for him. Now, as we look at this passage this morning, there are three great truths about the cross that emerge. And and, and, uh, I want you to, to, in in order to boast in the cross of Christ, we must both think and feel these things, not just know them, but experience them too. So here they are. The cross is supremely important. The cross is inherently offensive. And the cross is supernaturally powerful. First, the cross is supremely important. Paul says, man, never boast. Other translations, God forbid that I should boast. It's Paul's way of saying there is nothing on earth that is as important as the cross to me. Now, right away, we might realize that what Paul is saying here rubs certain people the wrong way. Maybe even people who, who go to church. I mean, many believe that the most important thing is living like Jesus. Love your neighbor. Turn the other cheek. Do unto others. These are important things. We are to model our lives after Christ and his actions and his relationships. Those are very important, and we are to do our best to live like Jesus. But if we do that without an emphasis upon the cross, we're really missing out. We're missing the point. Paul didn't say, God forbid that I should never that I should ever boast in anything except the Sermon on the Mount. In Mark 8, there's a passage that gives us some insight into the topic of the importance of the cross and Jesus' mission when he came to earth. Jesus, in in Mark 8, asked a question. He said, who do you say that I am? Peter responded, you're the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. He got the answer right. And so Jesus immediately began to, to talk to the disciples about what the Christ came to do how he must suffer, how he must be killed and die on a cross, a message that the disciples did not want to hear. And so Peter took Jesus aside and began to refute him. You see, Peter wanted the Christ to be the great teacher who would tell them what to do. And he wanted the Christ to lead them to do something, throw off Roman rule, restore the fortunes of their nation Israel. How did Jesus respond to Peter? They say those things are important, but there's more to the picture. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus was saying, the reason I came to earth, the most important thing I came to do was to suffer and die for your sins on the cross. And Jesus tells Peter that no other mission should take the place of the cross and that any attempt to circumvent that mission was from Satan. The cross First and foremost, the cross is at the center of Jesus' life and story. That's where Jesus was destined to go from the moment he was born on earth as a human baby boy. And so in all things, we must give witness to the cross of Christ because it is of supreme importance. As we live our lives, as we go to work, as we go to school, as we relate to our families, our friends, our neighbors, our strangers around us, do we point them to the cross of Jesus Christ? Do we say, look at what Christ 
has done for you and me on the cross. Look how much he loves us. The cross is to be the very center of our lives. Secondly, the cross is inherently offensive. Now, it's hard for us to grasp grasp, uh, today how startling it would have been for people in Paul's world to hear a man say that his only boast was in the cross. There There were a lot of cultural and religious and historical factors that made crucifixion, the cross, repulsive to people. It's hard for us to think of a modern analogy, really. But it might be like a person saying, my only boast is in by death by the electric chair. You see, for Gentiles, crucifixion was regarded as the ultimate in a cruel, shameful public death. It was the supreme penalty imposed under Roman law. The cross was used to execute slaves and criminals and revolutionaries. Roman citizens sentenced to death could not be crucified because it was such a horrible, barbaric death. And so for Jews, there were were a couple of reasons crucifixion and the cross was viewed with such revulsion and, and shame. Crucifixion was used by the Romans in their in their conquest of Judea to execute thousands of captured Jews. So the cross was a symbol of not of life, but of oppression and of death. Like the ovens of Auschwitz would be to Jews today. For the Jews, crucifixion and a cross was was connected to an Old Testament curse in Deuteronomy 21, 23, where it says cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. So they saw this, the cross as a sign of God's curse. And so for both the Gentile and the Jew, the message of a crucified Savior on a cross was foolish, shameful, repulsive. As Paul put it in 1 Corinthians, the gospel and the message of the cross was foolishness to the Jews, or foolishness to the Greeks, and a stumbling block to the Jews. But the defense of the cross grows much deeper than just these historical facts that were true in the first century. Because the real offense of the cross is that it points to our sin. And not just our sin, our wrong acts and wrong deeds, but it points to our sinfulness, our absolute moral depravity and hopelessness in front of God. So why do we sing about the beauty and the power of the cross with songs like The Wonderful Cross or When I Survey the Wonderful Cross? Because the cross points to the fact that God has reached down in grace to provide a way for our sins to be forgiven and for us to have life instead of death. Because the cross is the ultimate expression of God's love for us. Because the cross is the only hope we have for salvation. You know, Tim Keller makes a fascinating observation in a sermon on this passage. He says that just as both Jews and Gentiles were offended by the cross in the first century, he says today liberals and conservatives are offended by the cross. Keller says that people with a liberal mindset are offended by the cross because they think it's too intolerant, too exclusive. What do you mean that the cross of Christ is the only way? Any person who is true to self can find his or her way to God no matter what religion. But Keller also says that people with a conservative mindset can be offended by the cross because they think it's too open and too inclusive. What do you mean there's no difference between people at the foot of the cross? How can we who have consistently and constantly upheld morality be in the same boat 
with those who have not. The cross does indeed draw a line, but it's not the line between those who are true to themselves and those who aren't. And the line is not between those who are moral and those who are immoral. The line the cross draws is between the proud and the humble. And the line the cross draws is between those who are self-righteous and those who know and acknowledge their sinfulness. The cross draws a line between those who try to save themselves and earn their salvation and those who know that salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. And that's good news because it means that salvation is open to anyone and everyone who humbles himself or herself before a holy and perfect God. The cross is offensive because it is set against all schemes of, of self-salvation, no matter if those schemes take a liberal or conservative flavor. And it says to all people, you are more sinful and wicked than you ever dared to admit, but you are more loved and accepted in Christ than you ever dared to hope or imagine. As wonderful as that message is, we can tend to resist it at times. Because the cross offends our systems of comparison and performance and and good works. We can no longer find comfort in the fact that in our eyes or the eyes of the world, we're pretty good people when compared to most. At the cross, the standard to which we are compared is God himself. And that means that even the best of us falls woefully, hopelessly short. The cross is offensive because it means we can no longer place our hope for heaven in the amount and quality of our, our good deeds. At the cross, we are told that no matter how good our deeds are, the only way to enter heaven is through faith in Christ and what he's done for us. Finally, and thirdly, the cross is supernaturally powerful. The cross of Christ alone has the power to set us free, to change us, to transform us, to save us, to bring life out of death. Paul put it like this. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He said much the same thing in in chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What Paul is saying is that a person who boasts in the cross has a new center, a new identity. They have something new and powerful that he or she is relying on. And that new center, that new reliance, that new boast is Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And because of that, the world and the things of this world are no longer to be our center and our core and our reliance and our boasting. So even though we participate in them, even though we enjoy them, Family, marriage, business, money, success, reputation, all these are still part of a life, but they are not to be our life. Christ alone is to be our life. J.C. Ryle put it this way. For the Christian, the great business of life is a settled business. The great debt of a, is the great debt a paid debt. The great disease a healed disease. And the great work a finished work. And all their business, diseases, debts, and works are then by comparison small. And so because of the cross, if we have business troubles, we are able to say the big business of my life is settled to my advantage. 
And because of the cross, we're able to say, if we're having money problems, the big debt of my life has been paid. And because of the cross, if we have a disease, we're able to say, the big disease of my life has been healed. So then why do we get so worried when things don't go so well? Why do we get angry or bitter or afraid or despondent? If the cross is this powerful, then we as Christians can rise above our present circumstances, whatever that issue is. The cross has the power to change us and to shape us and to help us to rise above. Philip Yancey, a Christian author, in one of his books, has the following passage about the power of the cross. He writes, I've interviewed faithful followers of Christ in places like Russia, China, Kazakhstan, Ukraine, Albania, and Romania. Why did you take such a risk? I asked them. Why did you choose to follow Christ when your government, your teachers, and perhaps even your family insist that it was all a lie? Again and again, I have heard a two-pronged answer. They speak of their spiritual thirst and inner longing that no amount of noisy propaganda could silence. And then they tell me of a humble Christian who loved them, who held out the possibility of a power that could help in their battle against alcoholism or drugs or meaninglessness or whatever demon happened to be tormenting them. One of the faithful, he writes, the Soviet Union's most renowned sculptor who had designed Nikita Khrushchev's tombstone eventually went into forced exile in Switzerland. Knowing the sculptor's talent, the authorities tried at first to hold on to him. We need Nivetsny, they said one official, but we cannot use him. We must create a, a communist Nivetsny. His final rupture with the regime took place over a, a commission he did for a communist party building. He constructed a huge sculpture, some 50 feet high and 50 feet wide, that covered the entire front of the communist party headquarters. He submitted the design in sections, each of which was approved by the party officials. And only at the unveiling did they see it as a whole, and gasped in horror, a huge cross covered the front of the communist headquarters. The cross stayed in place, but the, the state and the political system did not. It eventually crumbled and eventually fell. The cross is the most powerful symbol, most powerful force on the face of this planet. And long after the things of this world, both good and bad have crumbled and fallen, the cross... And what it represents will still remain. And that is why the Apostle Paul, at the end of this incredible letter to the Galatians, was able to say so strongly and passionately in large, bold letters, may I never, ever boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. How do we feel about the cross? What do we think about the cross? I mean, we can take pride in things. That's okay. We should take pride in hard work, our children, accomplishments, our church, what our state, our country, whatever. But what do we boast in? What is our core identity? Christ looked at the, Paul looked at the cross, and he saw that God loved us enough to send his son to die for us. Paul looked at the cross and saw the instrument of his salvation. Paul looked at the cross and saw that Christ had paid the full price for his sin and saw that we were forgiven and justified and could now stand innocent before a holy and perfect God. 
And because of that, Paul said, I will boast only in this. When the cross grips us, we begin to see it as the only thing that truly matters. Don't boast in anything else. Boast only in the cross of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word, and we thank you for Paul's letter to the Galatians that we've been looking at. We thank you for the truth and the power in, in this in his words, inspired by your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for the cross of Christ. We thank you that um, because of what Jesus has done, we don't have to wonder if we've done enough good, or, or but we can know without a doubt that we're not saved by our good deeds. We're saved by what Christ has done for us, his deed on the cross, his act on the cross for us. So, Lord, may we be humble. May we be grateful. May we point others to the cross through our lives and our actions and our values. May we boast only and exclusively in what you've done for us, Lord. We thank you for your great love. And we ask that you continue to shape us and mold us more and more and to people of the cross, through Christ our Lord. Amen.